Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC is piling into Fight Island for another crazy week. This week involving two fight cards, our upcoming segment, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. We'll be breaking down fights on both of those fight cards and giving you some gambling plays as well. So make sure you check that out later in the show. Before that, we're going to give you three interviews with fighters fighting on various days. From Wednesday, we're going to be talking to Meatball Molly McCann as she gets ready for her bout. And then from Saturday, we're going to be talking to Jack Hermanson and his co-main event bout against Calvin Gastelum. And then we'll be talking to Nad Naramani as well. So make sure to check out all three of those interviews and Fights, Dog, and Parlays a little bit later on the show. And it starts right now. Now being joined by Jack Manson, who fights Kelvin Gastelum at UFC Fight Island 3 this upcoming Saturday. So, Jack, I know that you were just about to fly out as we, we set up this interview. Thank you so much for taking the time. How, how's traveling going? Oh, the traveling's fine. I'm in quarantine in London right now. You're, so you're in quarantine right now in London? Are you alone? Did you, did you get to take some people with you? Or, or is, you know, you're kind of completely all by yourself? No, I'm completely by myself. So basically yesterday we, we did a COVID test and then they just uh, put us in a hotel room where we can't leave. So we're going to be here for 48 hours. And tomorrow I will travel to Abu Dhabi and then we will repeat the process there. So it will be 48 hours quarantine again. And, and how are you handling the time you kind of all by yourself, like, you know, locked in a room? It's no problem. I, I enjoy being by, by myself and... Uh, I have uh, lo- loads of uh, things to do that you maybe don't have time uh, to do otherwise. So uh, I- I'm enjoying this time. Uh, so, yeah, no problem at all. Awesome. Good. Well, that, that's good to hear. Now, let's talk a little bit about the fight, because I know you got this fight with Calvin Gastelum, but before that, you were actually scheduled to fight Chris Weidman. When all of this happened and that fight got canceled, were you disappointed that you didn't get to fight a name like, you know, Chris Weidman, former champion, Bean Anderson Silva twice? No, not at all, actually. I, I was happy with the outcome. Uh, I feel like Kev- Kelvin is a little bit more relevant to the situation right now in the middleweight uh, division. So I actually think it uh, it uh, went to the better option. So, But uh, Weidman is a cool fight, but he's not ranked right now, so... Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to fight Calvin, actually. So, so it's way more important for you to have, like, the more relevant fight now than the legacy sort of fight? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, you know, uh, I feel like I want to fight that uh, is taking me closer to the title, uh, because that's the ultimate goal. Uh, so that that's uh, what means something for me right now. And, and let's talk about that half of the title, too, because you were on a four-fight winning streak. You are very close you, you lose a close fight with, with Derek Hannon here in, in a very exciting fight, too. A, a lot of people have said that they learn more from losses than they do from wins. Did you feel like there was a big takeaway from that or just kind of like one of those moments where it's not your, your night? No, it's definitely a, a big takeaway from that because uh, um, what I learned from that fight was that um, it's uh, – it's easy when you know that you have a advantage in the area of the game. Like in that fight, uh, I knew that I'm a better ground fighter than than Jared, so I kind of locked in to that game there. You know, I, I was just thinking that if I just get into the ground, then then uh, the fight will be over, and uh, uh, yeah, and uh, and the job will be done. Uh, but in in that process, it, it got way too easy for him to to read my game and to to see what I wanted. And that's um, basically what cost me the fight because he, he, he saw the level change. It got too easy, too obvious, and it was easy for him to time, time that uh, punch leading uh, into the TKO there. So uh, I definitely learned something there. I need to be more unpredictable. I need to have a little bit more ice in my stomach, so, so to speak. You know, take it... Um, uh, yeah, it's like... Uh, yeah, I follow the game plan basically that, that we work on when we when we do the camp. And, and is that what you're doing for this fight too? You're going in with less of a game plan, more of a you know reactionary situation. Um, little bit, uh, yeah, a, a little bit. You no, know, I definitely 
I'm thinking about that. Uh, I won't. I won't let him know, know know what I'm gonna do. You know, if he if he thinks that I'm gonna take him down, I'm gonna strike, and if he thinks that I'm gonna strike, I'm gonna take him down. That's what you want, uh, basically, and uh, that's what I'm gonna try to to do. And, and where do you think too that you have? You know, you said you felt like you had that huge advantage on the ground. Do you feel like you have that same advantage over Calvin Gaslam as well? I believe I have a big advantage there as well, and um, I feel like I have an advantage. If I end up on top, I basically have an advantage over everybody uh, in the division. So, um, and that, that, that's absolutely a, a place where I want to be. Interesting. So, in, in knowing that, obviously, like you said, you're trying to be a little bit more loose with your game plan. You know, how how much stock are you putting that, and how much stock in, in extra training are you putting in your hands to sort of make sure you get that out? Uh, most of the training is, has been uh, with, with the stand-up actually, and uh, and so it was with the, the Canonier fight as well actually. So I've been putting a lot of time to to develop that, and uh, but at the same time I feel like uh, I want to be fighting so well in the stand-up that I can win the fight there as well. I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm not totally looking into to uh, or relying on taking him down, or if I can't get him down, I'm not going to be frustrated, and just like, man, I can't take him down, I'm not going to win this fight. Uh, I, I do believe my stand-up, and that's uh, going to be enough as well, but uh, the perfect scenario is a mixed uh, game uh, fight. And I know you said you know, you've put a lot of stock into the training in, in both last training camp and this training camp in striking. Has it been more difficult to, to find striking partners and, and to sort of travel to get extra striking help? Because I know obviously here in the United States we have a lot less travel and a lot more travel restrictions. How has that been uh, where you're training in Sweden and Norway and the likes? It's definitely been uh, restricted, so it has been more of the one-one things with my coaches and uh, you know just working on that technique and uh, and so on. So I feel like you don't need a lot of people to to develop as long as you know uh, what your goal is. Then you just need to put the work. I like that. And, and do you feel like you're getting? You know, I've heard a couple editors say that they feel like they're getting better attention. Like every single training session is a, perf- a personal training session. Do you feel like you're getting better more so this training camp, or do you feel like you, you miss your your large contingency of partners? Yeah, I, I can feel that I got maybe even more attention than, than I usually do. But at the same time, we are not the biggest team in the world. So I always get a lot of attention. And that's one of the good things uh, about uh, not coming from the from the biggest gym, uh, I feel. So that's that's a advantage. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to ask you as I let you go here for a quick prediction. How do you see this fight ending with Calvin Gastelum come uh, this upcoming Saturday? You know, I see a lot of scenarios all the time, but what I've told everybody is a three-third on TKO for me. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's uh, that's my prediction. All right, well, you heard it here first. Let's start around TKO. Jacker Manson fights Kevin Gasolum this upcoming Saturday at USC Fight Down 3. Thanks so much for the time, Jack. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And that interview with Jack the Joker Hermanson is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, or jujitsu, it does not matter. Use Maroon Social to reach your highest peaks. You can do that by logging your training sessions, seeing how you're doing week to week, month to month. Plus, you can leave yourself notes, log your competitions and weigh-ins. It is the best way to track what you're doing in the gym each and every week. I highly suggest downloading it wherever you download your apps all right and joining me now is molly mccann who is fighting this upcoming wednesday against talia santos molly thanks so much for joining me that's okay mate all right. i've got nothing else to do <laughs> well i was gonna ask you that too like are, are you in lockdown right now are you in quarantine like i've got a one bedroom a single bed a hotel room at Heathrow in London, at Heathrow Airport. So it's it's lonely. It's lonely to say the least. And, and is it tough that, that you don't have? I, I assume you have nobody to train with. You have no coaches. It, what, what are you doing to prepare for a fight mentally or even physically? So we arrived about three hours ago. Had our Corona tests. And then just got told we wasn't allowed in rooms with our coaches. So the UFC have been kind enough to send us like care packages about movements, training and yoga that we can do in our room. I've got a skip and rope. I've got uh, some ferrobands for mobility. But to be honest, mate, I trained all weekend. So I knew I could have today off. And then tomorrow I'll just try and get some bits in. But um, all the hard work has been done. 
anyway. So it's just about watching the diet now and, and cutting the weight. So. And, and I've heard, too, that, that the UFC has done a little bit as far as that goes, too. Do they have stuff ready for you, prepared meals and things like that? When you get to Abu Dhabi, they do. Here, not so much. I've had to bring... It's like, because of corona, you can't have a fridge or a microwave in your hotel room. So it's like, I've got porridge that you just add boiling hot water to. I've got, like, Raymond noodles that you add hot water to. Like, proper student college life again. So, um, I mean, I'm used to it. It's one of them, you just, this is the price you'd pay to, to go and do what we love, you know. And then when I passed quarantine... When we fly to Abu Dhabi, we're in business class, so I can't complain too much. Yeah, you'll definitely be out of college life at that point. So well, let's talk a little bit about your, your status with the UFC. So you're on a three-fight win streak for your, for the first time in, with the company. It, it yeah. seemed like you were on a hell of a run. And here you are, you get Talia Santos, who's, who's not a bad fighter, but also maybe not the name you were looking for. What was your thought when they offered you her as an opponent? I just was like, yes, Fight Island, yes. Um, I genuinely believe when you're in the UFC, there's no easy fight. And I still always count myself as the underdog. So if a ranked opponent or an opponent with a number next to their name doesn't mean anything to me because unless it's Shevchenko, it doesn't matter. Um, so it's all about the ladder on trying to get to the top and... She's finished more people than what I have in reality. Um, has she fought the caliber of people I have? No. Um, is she tough? Yes. Does she have like six inches reach on me? Yes. Um, is she four inches taller than me? Yes. So um, it's not going to be an easy fight by any strength, like by any means necessary. However, um, I'm on a roll and. When I lost my debut in the UFC, it made me reanalyze everything about my game. And I just feel like physically and mentally I evolve every fight camp, as you should. But I just think, like, if you look at the shape I'm in at the minute, I've never been in, in this shape in my life. And uh, technically, my wrestling and my jiu-jitsu has never been to the levels that it is at the minute. So I'm just, I'm content, mind, body and spirit. And um, I'm really excited to go out and, and absolutely destroy my opponent. And, and you mentioned the, the physical shape in there, too. You know, I've noticed that on your Instagram and your social media that you've been doing a lot more strength and conditioning. Was that planned for, for this time and in between fights? Or was it more like, you know, we're in this lockdown, we're in this coronavirus, like I got to do something and, and you wound up doing more strength and conditioning? I just when Corona happened where my fight was cancelled I just didn't see it as a time to lack discipline and waste three to six months of my life so where my loss in the UFC was grappling based I spent two years focusing on grappling and in lockdown I was able to go back to what made me me and that was running that was hitting a bag that was being a boxer and um, and that kind of training and then the fight camp six weeks and in that time it wasn't like I wasn't critiqued every day like I am normally it was like go and have fun um just go and express yourself and I got to flow more and it was just just enjoyed this camp so much because it's the new norm and I like the new norm <laughs> well and I was gonna ask you that too you said you know you've been able to feel more free you feel like you're doing what you want to do more you're having more fun is there stuff that you can take over to when maybe this goes back to more normal that you would still keep in your fight camps? Yeah, I think when I lost, um, I totally changed up the way that I handled myself. And it was very much like work. So it was like going nine to five, going into your job. And this fight camp is being fun. Um, don't get me wrong, the rounds were hard and I've cried. And um, it's, been, it's been hard, but... Um, I think like you need that creative angle sometimes in some some camps. No camp is the same, uh, but this camp I was just able to to draw from a more creative standpoint, and maybe that's because I am on a three fight win streak, and 
I know the level that I'm competing at at the minute, so I can be a little bit more relaxed and not have such a mental strain on me all the time thinking, oh, I can't do that. Oh, it's got to be like that. Now I'm just just focused. Well, that, that's certainly awesome. Now, uh, I, I do want to know, too, so you said in there, you know, both physical preparation and mental preparation. Is a lot of that mental preparation that you're feeling and, and you're feeling better about just that freedom, or is there other things, too, that you did to get yourself ready for, for this very unique style and very unique situation you're fighting in? I've done a lot. I've done it all on my own. I locked down on my own. Um, it was a lot of, like, soul-searching and a lot of... Um, I've just tried to use this time and this fight camp to go back to what made me such an animal. And um, and it was the basics. When I was 16 um, and I used to box at, as an amateur, this is how I used to train. And this is when I was, like, I was ruthless, mate. I was ruthless. And then I've just done the same thing. Because my coaches now know, right, if Molly gets taken down, she can she can genuinely probably sub this girl off her back. So it's like, go and have fun. Go and have fun. And and they they know I won't take the piss. So, like, I'm not going to... I'm not going to go in there and just fight and brawl like what I used to. It's it's controlled chaos. But... Um, how, how much of that, that jiu-jitsu that you feel really comfortable with comes from... I know you did some grappling competitions. You were at Grapple Fest and you are doing some other yeah. ones. How, how much of that is due to just competitive grappling and how much is just due to, you know, the focus you put on in, in the gym? So... I focus so much on making my weaker area my strength and now it's there and it's at that point and it's been 18 to 24 months of pure grappling, more wrestling based stuff. However, this whole year, so 2020, I've focused more on jujitsu and in lockdown, say when we was allowed to just start training again, I was like, I was working Della Heaver and um, I was doing pure jiu-jitsu and then I was like okay I understand now whereas my body is so small so like my reach is I think the littlest in the whole of the UFC and my legs are small so what works for my gym everyone's long a rubber guard body triangles all that kind of thing doesn't work for me so I had to find my own style and I found it now and in in this I'd say every single round that I've sparred, I've got a submission um, or I've been in a position to finish every single round. So when you've got that confidence with, yeah, I used to be scared in case I got taken down, I was going to get submitted, but now that's gone. I can let my hands, my kicks, my elbows, my knees go even more. So um, yeah, there's no, there's no hesitation now. I'm just going to be able to flow. And I obviously don't want you to give too much away about this fight with Talia Santos, but, you know, you mentioned that she's very tall, she's got really, really long reach, and you're going to be working on, you know, probably trying to get inside on her. How much of your own grappling do you think is necessary to rely on, or do you think you can just get in your range and box her up? I believe that I can outpunch anyone in my division. Um, I've fought at this weight since I was 16. So everyone has always been as tall as Talia Santos. And this isn't something new. Um, my last four opponents all had the same 68-inch reach, and I've got 62. So I know how to get in, get out, and not get hit. Um, I know how to take someone down from kick and range. Um, and I know how to box someone in a, in a dirty boxing range and their clinch range. So if I was Talia Santos, I'd think, keep her at the end of my job or take her down and try and submit it. Now, if she does both of them things, I'm going to counter both of them things and finish it. Um, but it's the same. Like, I'll always say the same thing. My game. I love your top, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. It's coming up in a little bit, so I figured I had to yeah. put it on for you. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Um, I know I'm going to, I'm going to take the centre of the octagon I'm going to push her to the wall, I'm going to punch her head in, I'm going to take her down, and then punch her head in on the floor. So um, people don't look at me as just a boxer anymore, I think, because I can take everyone down now. 
and mount them and rain punches in. Um, yeah, I don't know how people are going to look at me and think, oh, how shall we approach it? Because you can't finish me unless you submit me. And in all of my experience, there's only been one person to do so, and Talia Santos is not Jillian Robertson. Facts. Well, well, so I always like to end these with a prediction. L- let me know. How do you see you finishing Talia Santos when it comes this upcoming Wednesday? I think second round finish. Um, I'll say TKO. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Molly McCann, who fights this upcoming Wednesday against Talia Santos. Molly, thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it. No problem, mate. I'll catch you whenever you need me. Just get at me. And that interview with Meatball Molly McCann is brought to you by BattleClan Gear. Visit BattleClanGear.com and use promo code TURTLEUP10, that's T-U-R-T-L-E-U-P-1-0, for 10% off your entire order there. They have got awesome grappling gear. It is one-of-a-kind kind of stuff. And plus, like, you're probably going back to the gym soon. You're going to want some fresh duds. Maybe you're already back at the gym and you notice your stuff is a little tattered or a little, you know, moth-eaten from being sitting in the closet for so long. Head on over to BattleClan Gear, get stuff that feels great and looks great, and you can do so right now. Get that 10% off using TurtleUp10. And joining me now is Nad Naramani, who fights Grant Dawson at UFC on Fight Island coming up this Saturday. So, Nad, I wanted to start by asking you, you know, like, where are you in the travel process right now? I know a lot of people are, are all over different places and in quarantine and in, in airports. Where are you at right now? Yeah, we're just uh, we just arrived in Abu Dhabi today. We're just uh, we've got 48 hours in quarantine now, and then uh, and then we're free, I believe. Yeah, we got a couple more uh, COVID tests, and yeah, then we're we're free for the rest of the week. And, and how was the whole process getting from your you know your camp to to Abu Dhabi? Was it long? Was it stressful? So we yeah, but well, it wasn't too stressful. I mean, we we've been in London. We were in London for 48 hours quarantine as well. Uh, we did a COVID test there as well, uh, and then we flew out from Heathrow, and now we've got to do another 48 hours over in Abu Dhabi. All right. Well, it certainly sounds like you're uh, you're ready to go. So uh, let, let's talk about your your fight career too, because because obviously you know this is the second kind of long layoff of your career, right? You, you've had over a year in between fights, injuries being some of yeah. it. Can, can you disclose just how yeah. frustrating that's been and w- maybe what some of those injuries were? Yeah, I mean, it's it was um, this last year has been a bit of a one of those because I uh, I had surgery after my last fight um, and then I just recovered from the surgery and then I was getting back ready to fight for December. Then they couldn't get me in December, so then they got me in January and then there were some visa issues and then I uh, couldn't get to that fight in January and then obviously COVID happened and now we're here in July. And, and has that been so different? You know, after, after the, the surgery was supposed to be a quicker uh, recovery time, uh, but it just took me longer to feel like I was ready to go into a full camp. And has that been difficult for you or, or are you kind of glad you got extra time to recover from the injury? Uh, I mean, it's good just to, you know, get get over the, the recovery and uh, the surgery and um, getting that training and extra training over that uh, period. But, um, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty easy whichever way, you know. I'm not, uh, I'm not too, it's one of those, you know. Just got to take it, take it and, uh, and carry on. I like that mentality. Now, I know in the past you've done a bunch of training over at Alpha Male. I can't imagine you were able to travel out there this time for this camp. How, how much different was your camp this time out? Yeah, this camp I stayed at home. Uh, obviously, back in my hometown in Bristol, obviously where I've done most of my, you know, career. Uh, so you know, it was, it was, it was fine. You know, I got a lot of good training in, and I got a lot of good guys there. And um, so no, it was, it was, it was actually a nice camp. You know, uh, it was a shorter camp than normal, obviously with COVID. Uh, but um, but yeah, got got great work in. And is that still part of the plan in the future to go back to Alpha Male to get work into, or is is this seemingly you know your future now? You you yeah, like? Yeah, I mean, I, I no 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 definitely. I mean, I like mixing it up. I like getting those looks out there as well, and um, picking things up from out there, and taking it back home elsewhere, and as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like both. I like both places for training. Really, it's it's one of those for me. I like to mix it up and. Uh, get a feel, you know, from both places. But, um, but yeah, no, I'll definitely be going back out there for sure. 
Awesome, awesome. So let's talk a little bit about this upcoming fight, too, because you're fighting Grant Dawson, who's undefeated in the UFC. He's looked really good as of late. You know, he's got a big, heavy top game is, is sort of the, the scouting report on him. What, what were your thoughts when they first offered you him as a fight? I didn't really look at him. I just said, yeah, uh, I'm not one of these, you know, I'm not worried. I'll, uh, I'll fight anyone. And uh, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trouble for everyone, you know, in the division. So, uh it doesn't matter who it is, and uh, I just carry on to the fight. I certainly like that mentality. Now, looking at these fight cards over the next couple of days, too, I noticed they have kind of like a, it seems like a cage warriors field. It seems like a whole bunch of people who you fought next to or sometimes even against on the local scene. What has that been like? Have you run into anybody else doing the same traveling as you have? Um, I mean, no, because we've been in quarantine. I mean, <laughs> uh, apart from Mark, Mark, Mark Casey, um, that that's about it, really. Who we've actually uh, sort of come into contact with because he was next to us on the plane uh, coming over here. So no, but apart from that, I haven't really seen anyone. I know like Jack Shaw and Brett Johns are over here, and Chris Fishgold, and uh, a few of the other English guys. Uh, but I haven't actually seen any of them yet, obviously, because we've been quarantined as soon as we got to the hotel. Yeah, and, and does it give you like a, it's all been a, a bit of a weird, all been a bit of a weird experience this time? <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine. But does it give you a sort of like a sense of reassurance that you almost have like like a British or you know a, a UK you know family right there with you too? People you're you're used to seeing around. Yeah, even no, it's, it's, it, yeah it's, you know it's nice. We're all coming up through the ranks and um, you know fighting on the best organization in the world. So uh, yeah, no, it's nice to be doing it uh, next to the guys that have come up with you. You know. Absolutely. Now, before I let you go, I did want to get a quick prediction here. I know you said you feel confident against any kind of opponent. What way do you see this fight going with Grant Dawson, if I, if I can get a prediction out of you? I think I'm going to finish him over in the first or the second round. Um, I think I'm going, to, I'm going to be too much for him. Um, standing up, you know, I don't think, I think his best assets is wrestling and his grappling. I mean, I'm a black belt in BJJ myself, wrestled for... X amount of years with Iranians and top level guys out in America. So I didn't feel like, you know, he's going to be bringing anything new to the table. He's a young guy. He's hungry. You know, he's, uh, he looks tough. Don't get me wrong. Everyone's tough in the UFC, but I'm just going to go in there and I'm going to, uh, try and break him early on to this fight. I've, uh, like you said, I've been out for a while and I need to make a statement. So, uh, that's exactly what I'm going to do. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Matt Normani who fights Grant Dawson at UFC on Fight Island this upcoming Saturday. Nod, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Thank you. Take care. Well, we hope you enjoyed those interviews with Jack Hermanson, Molly McCann, and Dad Naramani. Once again, I'm Daniel Gumby Vreeland. I'm joined, as always, by Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, before we get into this loaded week we got coming up, is there anything from UFC 251 that you just got to get off your shelf? that you just have to run down right now? Well, I think the most logical place to start would be Volkanowski versus Holloway. That, to me, was the most interesting fight on the card. Uh, with a shout-out, of course, to I thought Rose versus Andrade was a great fight as well, but only being three rounds, not for a title. Uh, just Holloway and Volkanovski really bordered on uh, just a classic to me. It, it might not have reached classic status, but it was a really good fight. Jorge versus Usman went exactly how you and I predicted on this very show. We're pretty good at what we do, not to pat ourselves on the back. Uh, but that being said, I obviously at the time, like most people, felt as though Holloway took rounds one, two, and four. But I also understand that round four was razor close, as was three through five. And today where I'm at in my headspace, and I'm interested to hear what you have to think of the fight 24 hours later, I think we really have to give it to Volkanovsky here, and I'm saying this as someone who felt like Holloway was not robbed, but it was his win. Uh, Volkanovsky got knocked down twice and came back to make rounds three through five very close, and I think without a shadow of a doubt, even though one judge gave it to Holloway, he very much won the last round, round five. What did you make of it all? Yeah, I left myself. I, the, the problem is with me watching the fight live is I 
Uh, first of all, I bet on Volkanovski, and second of all, I just really love Alexander Volkanovski's style. So, like, I tried to be impartial, but I was super questionable on rounds three and four. I thought Volkanovski clearly won five. So the, the fight ended, I gave one and two to Max, five to Volkanovski, and I said basically three and four are coin flips. You know, in order for Volkanovski to win this, two judges are going to have to flip heads on rounds three and four. And, and that's what happened, right? Like two different judges said that he won three and four. And actually the judge who gave it to Max, as you as you kind of alluded to, also gave three and four to Volkanovski. Three and four unanimously across the board went to Volkanovski, which to me is kind of crazy. And, and really it shows that the one person who judged it for Holloway was actually probably crazy given the fifth round to him. <laughs> so like, you, you know, I wasn't sure at the time, haven't gotten a chance to rewatch it, but I, I definitely think everybody yelling robbery needs to, like, you know, pump the brakes a little bit. If you think Holloway won, I can definitely give you that. If you thought he won the third or fourth, you know, he might have won the third or fourth. And then if he did, he won the fight. I also think your your point about giving, you know, Volkanovski kudos. How many people, when they're breaking down this fight, was like, Max just needs to get off to a better start than he did last time. Right? Like, that was the thing about Max last time. He got off to an awful start, and Volkanovski just shut him out. This time, Max got out to an amazing start, and Volkanovski still beat him. You know what I mean? Like, Volkanovski was like, oh, you're not going to shut me out of this fight. I'm going to work my way back into it and even decisively win a couple, oh, well, a round, maybe two rounds. So, like, to me, that is really impressive championship stuff. I'm excited to see him defend against whatever else is coming through in the division. Not that I don't like the Max fights, but I'm just, like, ready for some fresh stuff at Featherweight. Yeah, I need to see Max go somewhere else, and I'm definitely ready for their third fight, but I need, like, a year-long break. I need to see both of them go and fight other people. Uh, you can go on our Twitter feed, that's up Turtle MMA. We were actually talking, interacting with fans last week, talking about, I mean, Max has a lot of fun fights at 155, too. Sign me up for him versus uh, Dan Hooker. Uh, sign me up for, for him versus, let's say, Poirier or anyone in that middle of the division, Charles Oliveira. So he has a ton of places he can go, and Volkanovski just has to defend the crown against, you know, up-and-coming beasts like Zabit or maybe even a Yair. Now I take Volkanovski in all of those fights, but I'm not going to say it wouldn't be fun to watch, right? Yeah, and, and then, too, we're, we're forgetting Korean Zombie, who is an absolute beast. We're, we're forgetting Josh Emmett, who just came off of a phenomenal performance against Shane Burgos. Um, and also, that division also has, like, three or four guys who are just on the bottom of the top 15 who are, like, 5-0 and or 6-0 and or something like that. you got Arnold Allen. You've got... Um, Sadiq Youssef, you've got Bryce Mitchell, you've got, you know, like all of those guys are on the edge of the top 15, undefeated in the UFC. Uh, Ryan Hall, like th those are guys who, you know, given a year of defending against guys like, you know, Chan Sung Jong and, and Josh Emmett and, and Yair and Zabit, like you might have one of those guys really show their way through. You know, like you might have Sadiq Youssef being ready for a touchdown. I think featherweight's exciting right now, and I definitely agree with you. I'd love to see Max go back to 115. I wouldn't hate seeing him fight Poirier for a second time. I wouldn't hate the hooker fight. You know, I'd love to see him fight Charles Oliveira. I think that was a really smart booking. So, like, yeah, let's send him up. I am a little bit worried that he doesn't have the power to exist up there, but, you know, he's kind of in no man's land at featherweight now. You said 115, I know by accident. I just want to make sure people know you're not trying to kill Max Holloway. <laughs> 155, uh, obviously. correct. <laughs> 155. So I'm going to make this real easy for us because I do just want to talk about some of the fighters and the championship fights. Our work is basically already done with where they go. Uh, Peter Jan is going to fight Aljo. That's the correct choice. We can't wait for that. I think we both being big Aljo guys give him a really – a uh, good shot, if not outright, favor him to win that fight and get the title. Aldo, uh, whatever he wants to do, he's a I, legend. I want to see him, I want to see him fight Dominic Cruz. Wouldn't that be fun? Like both guys coming off it. title shot losses. They were both, you know, WEC, you know, darlings for a, for a while. And like, it's a super fight. Like that would have been amazing nine years ago. <laughs> I don't mind the idea of full camp Jorge fighting, uh, Jorge Masvidal fighting Kamaru Usman down the road, but much like seeing Volkanovsky and 
uh, Max apart for a little bit. I don't just run that back right away and give Jorge the full camp. It's very clear here. It's Gilbert Burns' fight. I think he's a much better stylistic matchup for Usman. I was very excited about that fight. So I think that's what we're getting. Unless the UFC throws some sort of mega fight curveball at us, whether that be like, again, they share the same manager. It's a fight I've called for for two years now, both undefeated, both wrestling beasts. Usman versus Khabib in a super fight would blow my mind. Uh, GSP coming back, even at gosh darn now, almost age 40. I think he's 39 off a three-year layoff. I'd still watch that just because Usman and him have a very similar style, at least in the fact that they're both sort of wrestler first, heavy jab, control the octagon. Uh, but forgetting about him, the last and final question that I want us to answer before we move on to fight dogs and parlays for the upcoming week, Fight Island what do you do with Jorge Masvidal coming off that loss? I mean, I think there are two or three really smart bookings you can do with him. Right now, and I said this on uh, the Fix Fight podcast with Kurt and Ben last week. They invited me on to be a guest. Uh, check them out, by the way. And they asked me, you know, like, is this a win-win situation for Jorge? And I said it 100% is because he gets paid, which is what he wanted all along. And this looks great for his persona. His persona took no hits in this fight, right? Like, every single person who's like a Jorge Masvidal hardo is just saying, oh, well, well Usman mm-hmm. wouldn't fight him. Oh, oh, he did this on six days' notice. And yeah, he did do it on six days' notice. And yeah, Usman wouldn't stand in front of him and just throw absolute bombs because he's not stupid. But I'm telling you, his stock is still really high. So I think what they could do right now is cash in on that stock. And what the best ways to do that are is... A fight with Colby Covington that has a long enough buildup for them to trash talk. I think it's brilliant, and I think it would capitalize on both of them in their trash talking styles immensely. And then I also think you could run him versus Conor McGregor, and it would sell a ridiculous <laughs> amount of pay-per-views. Now, granted, you would have to get Conor to come out of his pseudo-retirement, and like you would have to. But let me tell you something: if you booked either of those two fights. Like, I think the amount you would sell with just a little bit of press and a couple of promos, I mean, fuck, make him put the BMF title on the line for either of them, and you've got just absolute melee heading to the box office. I agree with every word you just said, so I won't add anything else. Let's stop looking back. Let's start looking forward. It's our favorite segment on the show. It's fights, dogs, parlays. We're going to give you a couple of fights. We're going to give you a couple of parlays to play, and we're going to give you a couple of live dogs. But before we get to it, Gumby, one may wonder, does any company sponsor Fights, Dogs, and Parlays this week? Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by MyBookie. Visit MyBookie.ag for the best sports book and casino action on the web right now. You can get a 50% deposit bonus right now when you sign up, as well as getting 48-hour payouts. Nobody likes to wait to get paid when you make a good bet, so make sure that you get those quick payouts. Plus, they accept cryptocurrency, and they have a phenomenal online mobile experience because you do not want, you know, you're trying to hit the live odds real quick in the middle of a fight, and suddenly you can't get anywhere. They've got you covered there, too. So make sure to check them out, mybookie.ag. I absolutely love my bookie. I got an account uh, just last week, actually. Really easy to use. I used to be a Bavada man myself, but I got to tell you, I love my bookie. They make it so easy to bet on the fights. And like you said, they take, if you're a crypto guy, they take all different forms of payment. Uh, and they even give you a little bonus sign-up money. So you get to play with that. I was putting all sorts of crazy parlays last night. Um, you know, Paige Van Zant by <laughs> submission paid out 80 to 1 with my bonus money. It, of course, did not hit, but that's another story for another day. I'm sure Paige Van Zant has a wonderful modeling career ahead of her, but the Paige Sage era, I believe, is dead. Let's get to Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. And just a note here, we're combining their two fight cards this week, which means the fans went out, both coming to you from Fight Island where I hope that ref for the Aldo uh, fight is not <laughs> refing any fights again because he turned Fight Island into Lord of the Flies, and I really did not want to witness a death on an island. Uh, so we'll start with one fight we're going to break down is from the Wednesday main event. We'll also break down Saturday's main event and Saturday's co-main event. So let's start with Wednesday. It's Calvin Cutter, minus 280 favorite, taking on 
Dan EJ, uh, you know, with Ige, he is undefeated. Uh, or I sh- let me pause there. He has one loss in the UFC. It's a unanimous decision loss to Julio Darce. But since that time, and that was back in January of 2018, he's reeled off six wins in a row. Some nice names, Edson Barbosa, Mirsad Bektik, uh, probably the two nicest names that he beat. And he's going to be facing a heavy favorite uh, in Calvin Cutter, uh, who's minus 280. And I think we're seeing the rise of him, but he is only one and one in his last two fights. Beat Jeremy Stevens via TKO, and that really put him on the map. It's a highlight reel KO finish, but he lost to Zabit before that in a hell of a fight. It was a fight of the night. I thought he had a very good chance to win that. Go back before that, he beat Ricardo Lamas via KO. He beat Chris Fishgold via TKO. Lost to Honaito Makano via unanimous decision and beat Shane Burgos and Andre Feely to come into the UFC back in 2017 and 2018. So only two losses. He has five wins in the UFC. Who you got? I'm taking Calvin Cater, and I think this is an easier fight than a lot of people are making it out to be. You know, you mentioned Danny Gay beating Edson Barboza. That was a really close fight, and to be completely honest with you, I think I had Edson Barboza winning on the cards there. I do not agree with that decision in the long run. And that kind of style is literally, uh, I want to say with Edson Barboza coming down a weight class, it was like a slower version of Calvin Cater. You know, like Calvin Cater, you know, has phenomenal boxing, similar to Edson Barboza. He probably uses his kicks less. He's less of a kickboxer and more of just a straight boxer. But, like, he's got a really, really, really sound stand-up game, and he's got better takedown defense than Edson Barboza. And I think when you pair those two things together, I think he's dangerous for somebody like Dan Ige, who's a good striker, but definitely not in the realm of Calvin Cater, and he won't be able to rely on his takedowns quite as much, and I think that's dangerous. You also have to remember, too, that for me, Calvin Cater in a five-round fight is a dangerous fucking animal because he would have beat Zabit in a five-round fight. That fight 100% would have been won by Calvin Cater. We would be talking about him fighting for the title in the near future if that was a five-round fight. Instead, it's a three-round fight, and Zabit wins it, winning the first two rounds and getting beat up in the third round. So, like, for me, you know, we're looking at a guy who's, you know, in that contender realm versus a guy who's good. You said he was on a six-fight win streak, but just to me, he does not have those pieces standing, and I don't think he has enough grappling to really dominate Calvin Cater there. So I like Calvin Cater. Negative 280 mark seems about right, maybe a little too high. I'm not sure I love that. I might wait for it to come down before I play it. Uh, Saturday night's main event is a lot of fun. It is the flyweight title, running it back for the second time, if you need a primer on what happened there, uh, Devison Figueredo and Joseph Benavides fought, but Figueredo failed to make weight so he could not win the title. And then wouldn't you know it, he went out and TKO Joseph Benavides earlier this year in February. So the title was vacated. It's in abeyance, as they say. And now they're running it back. I happen to think God of War, Devison Figueredo, uh, could be the star that Flyweight needed. He is Brazilian, so you have a bit of a language problem. But first of all, his nickname is God of War. He's got the crazy hair. He's got a great story to tell. He was a bricklayer before getting into MMA. He has a wild personality. This guy could be like the John Jones of Flyweight. I would actually encourage him to go commit some low-level crimes and just get his name on ESPN every few weeks. This is what Flyweight needed. This is the man that could do it. Uh, and he is favored, of course, in the rematch coming up the uh, big TKO at minus 225. Benavidez, the eternal gatekeeper, the veteran, uh, is a plus 185. Before that TKO loss in February, he reeled off three wins in a row. Uh, Alex Perez, Dustin Ortiz, and Juicy A. Formiga. Does he have enough in the tank here to avenge the loss? Who are you picking? So we do have to mention right at the lead of this show, there is rumor that Davidson Figueredo has tested positive for COVID, uh, according to his manager. Uh, that is... He would. That, he absolutely would. It's perfect. <laughs> that, that uh, according to his manager, that is incorrect. We are currently waiting uh, test results on the second one. He says it's a false positive because apparently he had it like two months ago and recovered, and he thinks there's a false positive due to antibodies or some something like that. I'm not a scientist, but 
I feel like it's important that we mention that at the top, that this could be Joseph Benavides versus uh, Alexandre Pantoja or something like that. So um, <laughs> now that I've mentioned that, you know, Davidson Figueredo, I think is a rightful favorite here. He's a nightmare for Joseph Benavides, who definitely isn't going to work his jujitsu, definitely isn't going to take him down. He could outpoint him on the feet. That is really his path to victory for me. But, you know, he's going to stand and trade with Davis and Figueredo. And headbutt or no headbutt, I really think Figueredo was lighting him up on the feet and was landing some big heavy shots. I think he'll probably do the same. There's no reason for me to think anything else. So I say Davison Figueredo, negative 225. Again, sounds about right. These lines are not real off. And in addition to that, if for some reason this does flip-flop to Joseph Benavidez versus, you know, like I said, Alexandre Pantoja or Askar Askarov or already on the card, if they wind up in it, load the line up on Benavidez. It doesn't matter if he's negative 500. It's his time then. So um, there's your official pick. I expect nothing but chaos when it comes to these two just because of the first match and it throwing the UFC's plans for the title into uh, chaos. So I actually, honestly, now I'm just expecting that he's going to pop for COVID and we're going to have like another crazy vacant title situation until he's healthy. And, you know, listen, we're, we're responsible guys. We believe in science. And we're, when talking about the virus, we really want to encourage all our listeners to really do the right thing. Try to get your information from the right sources uh, the CDC, who, your local government, these are not the places to go. If you need information on COVID, go to XMMA fighter Brendan Shaw. All right, let's go, on to <laughs> let's go on to Saturday's co-main event. Calvin Gastelum is a minus-130 favorite. Jack Hermanson, you get a plus-100, which is basically telling you Vegas doesn't really know what to make of this. Who are you taking? I actually think I'm going to take Jack Hermanson in this one. Uh, you know, I, I think – you know, friend of the show, Jack Hermanson, or not friend of the show, Jack Hermanson, it doesn't necessarily matter. I really have loved his grappling game and the development of his grappling game. And, you know, if you look at every single fight except for the recent one against Jared Cannonier, where he just couldn't get him down and sort of gave up on his striking game and just, like, kept going for the takedown. If, if you look at all of his other fights, he puts his striking and his grappling together excellently. You know, like he, he really manhandled Jacare and left him, you know, running for a new division. That's crazy to me. So, you know, like I really think Jack Hermanson has some of the most underrated grappling. And you'll remember, other than the Israel Adesanya loss for Calvin Gastelum, the last time Calvin Gastelum was really manhandled, was Chris Weidman. And if Chris Weidman's grappling at that age, you know, and it might be Chris Weidman's last win. I'd have to have the intern on that one. But if Chris Weidman can survive the onslaught of Calvin Gastelum and then get him down and submit him, I expect nothing less from Jack Hermanson, really. Like, I I expect Jack Hermanson to do the same exact thing. So for me, uh, I I like Jack Hermanson in this one. And you know what? If you found a submission prop in there, too, I mean, it's probably at, like, plus 250 or something around there. I would definitely look into that prop. Man, you really blew my mind. I had the intern look it up, and in fact, uh, Gastelum was Weidman's last win, July of 2017, <laughs> uh, hometown crowd in Uniondale, New York, out in Long Island, and then, of course, he lost to Jacare and Dominic Reyes back-to-back uh, 2018 and 2019, and you just think about, you know, when he beat uh, Anderson Silva, uh, really almost like seven years ago to the day, uh, back in 2013. Uh, yeah, I mean, here we are, and uh, what a fall from grace. Now, you mentioned something I do want to just clarify on. Is Jacare going up to 205? I didn't know that. After oh, he went up to 205. Answer. You forget that he went up to 205 for one fight for Jan Blankovic. Oh, uh, that's right. He did go for you. You sang, forgot it probably. You forgot it probably because you wanted to forget it. Um, and then he said he was staying there, but then I do think. I mean, he was booked with Uriah. Uh, not Uriah Faber. <laughs> that would be cruel. Uriah Hall. Uh, and then he tested positive for COVID. So I think he is coming back down. He might be doing like a money weight, you know, jump between the two divisions thing. But like, he his original intention was to stay up at 205 after that. So I mean, and that's from being out grappled at 185 and like making the weight cut and feeling weak. So, I mean, like I think Jack Hermanson, especially being as strong as he is, is dangerous to that division. Uh, you said buzzword. We're an MMA podcast. I have to just again reiterate that if you really want true information <laughs> on COVID and this virus, hit up uh, ex-MMA fighter, Dr. Brendan Schaub. All right. Underdog <laughs> of the week. We're taking Brett Johns 
plus 205Y. So first of all, I would like to tell you guys two weeks in a row, our underdog has hit. You could check out Kama Worthy at like plus 220 the two weeks ago. And then last week we picked up uh, Davy Grant getting the knockout in the very first fight at plus 150. So uh, we are good at picking underdogs. And I'm picking Brett Johns here because... I think he's being underrated a little bit because he's one and two in his last three. Those losses are to Pedro Munoz and Aljamain Sterling. Meanwhile, people are really high on Montel Jackson, who's beaten the likes of like Andre Sukumta and Brian Kelleher, who are not slouches by any stretch of the imagination. But we're looking at a guy looking very impressive with some pure athleticism versus a guy who is a very high level grappler and he's got some pretty sharp striking. And lost to some very good people, like top five to seven people in the division he's losing to. And plus, I think Brett Johns in a scramble is really dangerous. You remember he hit that weird calf crusher on Joe Soto way back when? I think if Montel Jackson thinks he's going to grapple with, with Brett Johns, I think he's going to make sure to stay out of those scrambles because I think Brett Johns could snatch a submission there. I also definitely think Brett Johns could wrestle him up like Ricky Simon did back in Montel Jackson's UFC debut. So I like Brett Johns here for a number of reasons. And at plus 205, that is an absolutely ridiculous number. Oh, also that fight's on Saturday, just for people who are looking for uh, for dates on things. Uh, parlay to play is Tim Elliott, minus 120, and Meatball Molly McCann, uh, minus 115. Put them together, you're going to get plus 240 odds. Got to like that. Absolutely, and these are both Wednesday fights. Um, the reason I really love Tim Elliott in this fight is because he, he's a guy who a lot of people are writing off, again, losses in a row, right? He's lost like four fights in a row, but if you look at the list of people he's lost to, they are absolutely incredible. The most recent one being Brandon Royval, who who is new to the UFC, but has proven that he's already like a top, you know, again, five to seven guy for me. So Tim Elliott has had a string of bad matches, and instead he's fighting now a guy who's had huge layoffs in his career, huge injury issues, and is a guy who, you know, relies on his punching a little bit. Tim Elliott, phenomenal grappler. Can't stress it enough. He's a really good grappler. He even had Brandon Royval in some bad positions, so... I think that's a mismatch. And then we got Molly McCann, number 15 in the the women's flyweight division. She is fighting somebody who has no business being in the cage with her. They just absolutely needed to match him up. And the odds are, for some reason, really close. I think Molly's striking is incredibly better. Plus, she has been relying on her jujitsu and her strength and conditioning during quarantine. Those have been the things she's worked on. So, like, if she comes out with a more complete game, I mean, I think she could beat her just with the boxing. But the more complete game, Molly McCann is dangerous. So, if you're getting plus 240, putting people that were that sure about together, I mean, I think that's a slam dunk. Boom. That wraps it up for Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Of course, hit us up on our Twitter throughout the week as these fights are taking place. Let us know if we did you dirty. Let us know if we did right by you. We're pretty good at what we do, but we're also open to criticism if we fucked up your bets. That being said, Gumby, that wraps up Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Why don't you wrap up the show? And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. Couldn't do what we do without you guys. Couldn't do what we do without Flow Combat either, the mothership, or our sponsors, Maroon Social, Battle Clan Gear, and MyBookie.ag. Plus, we want to remind you guys to check us out on Twitter, at TopTurtleMMA. We've got all kinds of cool things going on over there, as well as on our Instagram, same thing, at TopTurtleMMA. I'm Daniel Gumby-Vreeland, he's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will be right back at it next week.